Hey guys, Liz Lang here with Dr. Mark Burton, and this week we are going to get into the seven habits of highly effective people. And we're most likely not going to get into all seven habits in today's episode, because I mean, as you probably figured out by now, both Mark and I like to talk. <laughs> and- we're going to try for two episodes, though. <laughs> yes. We're going to really work hard. <laughs> yes. So, because uh, we do have other topics in our pile that we would like to get to. So we're going to get into this book by Stephen R. Covey. And it's definitely intended to be kind of a leadership slash self-help book, kind of a business model, as you would, for building a successful business and being a good leader, certainly for management. But Mark and I are going to take these habits and turn them into just kind of general relationship and self-help ideas that you can do just to be a better person, a more productive person. Right. And I just, I want to say one thing for listeners to be aware of, and this is not a negative. It's just that some books are written with a certain spiritual element to it. And Stephen R. Covey was certainly a devout Christian and member of the LDS church. Mm -hmm. And so there's a part of that that comes out often and it doesn't detract. It's just if you aren't in that mindset and if that's not important to you, you can still get a lot out of this. You just have to kind of look past that. And I I say the same thing about one of the books I recommend most called Getting the Love You Want by Arville Hendrick. It's the same thing. He does that. He was a Baptist minister. So Covey is approaching it from that perspective. For him, it was very important. For a lot of people, it's very important. For some people, it's not. Yeah, I agree. And you're right. There is a point in one of the later habits where he talks about uh, spirituality. Mm -hmm. And spirituality, I think it's also important to note that it doesn't have to mean just religion. Spirituality can mean really anything. It can mean, you know, your connection to the universe or whatever you find kind of wholesome and peaceful to you. Right. And and I just, there are parts in the book where he does focus on Christianity. Yes. uh, Which was his faith. And so again, nothing wrong with that. It's just, if that's not where you're coming from, I think you can still benefit and get get some good things out of the book. Definitely. You just have to know where he's coming from when he wrote the book. Yes, I agree. And that is important. And it's not the sole focus of the book, certainly, but you're you're right. There are a lot of underlining religious elements in it. So that's a that's a good point. It's not it's not the focus of the book. And I, I want listeners to understand that as well. It's just there are these little parts that you want to be aware of and just look past if that's not important to you. Yeah. So Habit one is proactive. And so one of the main ideas that Stephen Covey focuses on in this section is taking responsibility for your actions. And one thing that I kept coming to as I was listening to habit one is, man, this is something I really wish that narcissists would hear and really take into. <laughs> that's what that's the thought I kept having. In fact, I thought of someone, I'm like, I want to give them this book and help and have them read this because being proactive is very much about taking responsibility for your own actions, for your own self, your own life. Well, I think it would be great if if narcissists could read this and get something out of it. But the problem is with most personality disorders, they don't think there's anything wrong with yeah, them. Yeah, that's it, true. And so it, it's kind of one of the fundamental characteristics of personality disorders that they do not take 
responsibility. It, it's one of those things we kind of look look at when we're yeah. um, thinking about it. I like this ch- uh, chapter a lot. And there are a lot of things that I talk to my individual clients about that are, that are come up in this chapter and also my couples. I think I mentioned to you one time there's a, I think he's a biologist out of Stanford and his name is Robert Sapolsky. And he thinks, he believes that we actually don't have any free will. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't believe that, but it's an interesting idea that he puts forth. And in this chapter, Covey talks about, he calls it genetic determinism and psychic determinism and then environmental determinism. And the way he talks about genetic determinism, it's, you know, the genes that we get passed to us from those who came before. And then psychic determinism is, I would call that more social learning. It's how we're brought up. It's what mm-hmm. we're taught, things like that. So I would use just different terms, but I'm, I'm just referencing the terms he uses. And then the last one, environmental determinism, is just the environment or the culture that we live in as a whole. And all these things influence us. And so the reason I brought up Sapolsky is he would say, well, all those things are going to determine how you behave. Mm. And I don't believe that. I think they have an right. influence, certainly. But I think we decide, it, it's a choice. We decide how we're going to act. And I see people who are, some terms that I use, passive versus being active. Again, mm-hmm. a lot of people are passive. For whatever reason, these genetic, you know, this genetic or this psychic or this environmental de- determinism have led them to just sit back and let life happen to them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge mistake. And I think that's what Covey is referencing here is that you can't sit back. If you want to get somewhere, you've got to uh, be the one who takes action. Correct. Yeah. There was a quote in this section that I really liked that said, many people wait for something to happen or someone to take care of them. But people who end up with a good job are the proactive ones who are solutions to problems, not problems themselves. And I think that's a really important, not only work ethic, but I mean, life ethic, right? You don't want to be that family member who is constantly dependent on others to take care of them or who is the needy one, right? And so learn to take action, learn to be assertive. And he also says something else that I think is important. Taking initiative does not mean being pushy or aggressive. Right. And and aggressive is different than assertive, which is hard for some people to understand. I think assertive is a positive characteristic generally, but, but aggressive is not. So if we look at this in terms of, say, mental health, you know, I think about people who are depressed and depression, you know, varies along a continuum from severely depressed to, you know, probably on the other end would be sadness. But I think Mm -hmm. that people who fall on that more severe end, the only thing that I think they can, the only thing they can do to get out of that is to act. Mm -hmm. Now, just saying that I realize is very, very difficult. Yes. For, for people to do. I was talking with a client today um, who's in a deep, deep hole and deep depression. And, you know, she, this person realizes that, yeah, she has to take some sort of action, but it's like you're stuck. Right. And, and so one of the things that 
I think is important is the words we use. And I think he goes into this, at least on my notes, I wrote this down. So I think he goes into it in the chapter, but the words we use and the language we use is really important. So if you have something and you say, well, I have to do this mm-hmm. as opposed to, I choose to do this. Okay. So yeah. one implies I have no control or power. Yeah. The, I, the, I have to means I have no control or power. The, I choose to, really says I'm the one in, you know, in charge and I'm taking, being proactive. And so the, there are some psychological terms that people may be aware of that might be helpful. Some people have what we call an internal locus of control. And what that internal locus of control means is that I control my life. Mm-hmm. It's me. I'm the one. And people with an internal locus of control typically are the ones who are being proactive you know, not reactive. And -hmm. if you have an external locus of control, then what that means is really it's the outside world that controls us or that it's something acts on us, someone telling us what to do. And so people feel powerless. And so that idea of power, feeling powerful as opposed to feeling powerless. And I think just taking action, being proactive helps us to feel more powerful. It helps us to feel in control of our life. And if you're in that deep hole of depression, it's the way out eventually Mm. to take control. Yeah, I agree. As human beings, we love to feel in control. We love to feel in control and it's a psychological need that we have. And there are obviously things in life that we can't control, but what we can always control is our own actions. And we control our language too, you know, going back to that idea. If you find yourself saying often, I can't, mm-hmm. then, I mean, there's definitely things in our life that we can't do. I mean, I want to acknowledge that. Right. But often it's that we choose not to. And it's, to me, it's really significant, the words we use, because if I can shift my thinking to say, I'm choosing not to do this, that it implies that I have power. If I say I can't all the time, it implies I don't. And so it's, it's, it's like a mindset that I think is important. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so moving on to habit number two. And the habit is begin with the end in mind. And this one really centers on writing your own personal mission statement. And part of writing that mission statement is being principle-centered. And we can get into kind of what he means by being principle-centered, but I thought it would be good to mention this, how he starts this section. And that's where he has you do this exercise where you imagine that you are at your own funeral. And then he tells you to think about what each person there or each category of people, so your family, your friends, your church, or your community, what they would say about you. And Think about what you would most like them to say. And so the idea is that you are working towards this personal goal of who you want to be. And each day you kind of evaluate, okay, am I going towards that goal or am I going away from that goal is kind of what this focuses on. And so really it ties into the next one, kind of put first things first, right? Which we'll get into. But I mean, this one is really about finding out who you are as a human being, who you are as a core. And and so this is something that, and I'm going to use different words, and I don't think I've talked about this 
in previous episodes, but it's something I talk with individuals all the time. What I call it, I call it my behavior or your behavioral roadmap or a behavioral roadmap. Mm -hmm. And the way we start is you start with, I call them qualities or values, which Mm -hmm. is, those are just other words that we could use or that Covey could have used as well. But, and so if you think about your values, so for instance, my value is honesty. And so then what I do is I say, okay, under honesty, tell me three behaviors that an honest person does. Mm-hmm. And so if you take the time, and this, I think this is a lifelong exercise yeah. um, that you think about values. So a value might be family and then, okay, someone who has a value of family, how do they behave? You know, and it might be, well, I spend time with, uh, you know, each child or something like that. And so what you do is you create this document that for me is, I call it the behavioral roadmap. And if you were to look at it, and I suggest people who do this, look at it every day and you just remind yourself what it is you're going to work on. You could even pick one out and you can say, oh, you know, under honesty is this behavior. I'm going to, I'm going to work on that today. Mm -hmm. And so what happens over time, you define who you want to be. And then you become that person. Right. Yeah. And there is something incredibly powerful about writing things out. And mm-hmm. it's such a simple thing to do, but there's just something about it, seeing it in writing, seeing it on paper. It's like seeing an idea really come to life. It's motivating. Just that act in and of itself is incredibly helpful, I think, when it comes to you know reaching and achieving your goals. And he, I think this is this chapter where he mentions a man named Clayton Christensen, or it's actually in the end where his son writes about it. Mm-hmm. And that caught my attention just because I grew up in the same neighborhood of Clayton Christensen. Cool. And I know who this guy is. He's like 10 feet tall. He's one of the tallest men I've ever wow. met. But when he talks about, and he talks about uh, Clayton Christensen giving a talk, I think it was like at Harvard Business School, but he's saying that his focus is really, I think it was the family and church for him, which totally Mm -hmm. makes sense with how he grew up, but that you then behave even in the business world with those values in mind. That you yeah. never you never let go of those values, and so uh, that's how I interpreted that section as you need to identify your center so that you don't get lost mm-hmm. in the world of work and you don't and you forget your values. And I see people all the time who that happens to. Yeah, like I, I see, and um, usually it's men because men are, but even women nowadays because they're in the workforce. But you know, you ask them, okay, tell me your priorities. What's your number one priority in in your life? And what do they say? I'm, everyone's going to say my family or my wife. Yeah. Yep. And then I say, okay, well, tell me about the time you spend, you know, tell your allocation of time throughout the oh, typical week. And there's very little time spent with family or wife, and it's all devoted to work. And so there's this imbalance in what they say their value system is mm-hmm. and actually what they're living and so I think, you know, his, this chapter of, of having a plan, right? I think if you identify where you want to be, but you have to keep in mind what your value system is and always be true to the value system. Yeah. That is how we have happiness and joy in life. And I think it's really easy to get caught up in the world of work and yep. the world of making money. And we forget that 
what really is important. And another thing I often say to people is, you know, when you're 80 years old, you are not going to be sitting there on the front porch thinking about all the great deals you made. Yep. You're going to be thinking about your relationships and, you know, the importance of and how relationships make us happy. So you might as well focus on that now rather than in 30 years. What you said makes sense. And I really like the way that you said it of, you know, being true to your values. And it's not that these things aren't important. I mean, your family and your spouses are obviously very important. Your work is important. Mm -hmm. Money is important. And so is possessions, pleasures, friends. These things are important. It's a problem when they become the center focus of your life. Right. You definitely need to make a living because you need to support your family. Mm -hmm. But I see so many people nowadays who just focus on work. They'll come home. I I always ask couples, okay, tell me about a typical day. And so they'll go to work early, they come home, they'll have dinner, and then they go right back to work at home. You Mm -hmm. know, they'll go back on their computer. And then they're wondering why they're having trouble in their relationship or why they don't have a good relationship with their children. And you need to to spend time. And so, you know, the, the idea of start with a plan or begin with the end in mind, I always ask couples, what do you want this to look like? Mm -hmm. What do you want your relationship to look like? Because if you can define it, then that sets the path because it gives you something to work for. And I think that's the whole focus of this particular habit is, you know, decide where you want to go. And then you've got a path. Right. And one quick thing that I want to mention is if you do find yourself working all the time and you feel like your job is demanding, find another job. Right. Find something else. And I don't mean quit your job today and then go start looking. (laughs) You know, start looking for another job. Right. And Curtis found himself in this situation. He felt like he was constantly working. And he often did exactly what you described. He -hmm. would work and he works from home. He's 100% remote and he would work. He would stop, eat dinner really quickly and then go back to work. But I mean, he burned out and it didn't take long for him to start looking for another job after just a couple of years of this consistently being overworked. And so you can change your situation. You can change your job like that's It's something that you can control, right? Right. And one of the traps that I think people fall into, because I hear this often, is they get a particular lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they think, okay, I can't really quit my job, because they'll probably, you know, I'll do something that's going to give me less money, and I don't want to lose my lifestyle. If that's your value system, fine. I mean, if the value system is that it's more important to have a particular lifestyle Mm -hmm. than to have connection with your family and friends, then that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But again, for a lot of people, I think for most people, what we know makes us happy is connection, connection with family and friends. Yeah. Everybody dies eventually and you don't get to take your money with you. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and so what you have is the relationships. I mean, yeah. Freud said this. I'm not I'm not a Freudian, but he said, you know, the two things we have are work and relationships. And mm-hmm. so both are important. It's just that balance. So one last thing that I want to say before we move on from this habit is there's another quote that Stephen Covey put in this that I really liked. And it said, it's incredibly easy to get caught up in an activity trap in the busyness of life toward harder and harder at climbing the ladder of success only to discover it's leaning against the wrong wall. It is possible to be very busy without being very effective. Right. I and, see that a lot. 
Yes. And from a business perspective, I get what he's saying. But from a life perspective, my instant thought was overscheduling your kids. And, you know, yes, getting kids, getting kids involved is fantastic. Kids need to be involved in social activities and sports. Those are all really great things. But give them time to just be a kid. Give them time to just go outside and play or be creative. Right. So one of the quotes that I like, he said, all things are created twice. Once yeah. in the mind and once in the physical world. And that idea of having quiet time is really, really important. Mm-hmm. And I think most people would say that Warren Buffett is, has been an extremely successful person. And he has some peculiar uh, personality issues himself. But one of the things he does every day is he has a, a good part of his morning. I think it's his morning is quiet without any interruption where he's thinking. Mm-hmm. And so when I read that thought, all things are created twice, once in the mind, once in the physical world. If you don't have time or quiet time or just time alone to think, yeah, then when do you ever have that first step of creating the ideas or being able to figure out what the end is? You know, mm-hmm. how, how do you know what the end is? And I think a lot of people don't take enough time to be alone and be quiet and to think and to contemplate. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Learn to disconnect. And that was a trap I found myself in where no matter what, I felt like I had to be, something had to be occupying my mind. I always had to be listening to something and I learned to just kind of step away from that and to be okay, just driving in the quiet or, you know, just walking down the road or something and just thinking, learn to just be contemplative, uh, quiet contemplative. And it doesn't have to be like some meditative deep thought, just time with no distractions. Mm -hmm. That can be meditative. And we're both big advocates of meditation, but learn to disconnect. I I have about a 15 minute drive uh, from home to work, Mm -hmm. but I don't listen to anything. And so, and I, I actually have have a lot of quiet time because I like it. But I think that it's really important that this, when you said disconnect, we really need to, you know, as a culture, disconnect at times. Okay, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Hi there, my name is Maya Acosta and I'm the host of the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast where I explore ways that we can optimize our health. I learned about the field of lifestyle medicine, which uses evidence-based approaches to prevent, halt, and in even some cases, reverse disease. These are lifestyle modalities, such as using certain foods as medicine, using exercise to reverse disease, managing our stress, and even getting adequate sleep. Join me and the amazing people that I get to talk to as I set out to learn how taking better care of ourselves can help us both improve the quality of life and enhance our longevity. Let's get started. Yeah. Okay. So moving on to habit three, and I mean, I liked all of these, but I really like this one in terms of So the habit is called put first things first, and it's really about prioritizing. And I think this is something that at some point in our lives, everybody has struggled with prioritizing. Mm -hmm. And so there is one thing that I did want to pull up. And I mean, I wish I could have a visual of it, but it's the time management matrix. Uh Uh-huh that he oh, talks yeah, about I remember that. I remember the, that. yes the time management matrix 
it's just a way to categorize the tasks yeah. that you have that I think is helpful for people to then get, it gives you a structure, yes. which I, I really like. I think people need structure. Right. Yeah. What he does is he helps you put the, your tasks in certain categories where it becomes that matrix, where it becomes evident. Okay. These are the things I had to be focusing on first. These are the kind of priorities. And then there's one part of the matrix, which I think is maybe I'll get to it. Maybe I won't, or I can just let it go, Mm -hmm. which is an important thing to be able to say. Sometimes I'm just going to let that one go. Yeah. And and so he kind of divides it into urgent, not urgent, and then important and not important. Mm -hmm. And we all have things in our lives that demand our attention. And at some point, everyone's going to have what he would call a crisis where it's the urgent, important, something is going on right now that needs our immediate attention. Mm-hmm. And so his idea is that do your very best to plan ahead so that not everything is in, not everything feels like a crisis. You, yeah. it's, it's highly, highly stressful to feel like you are constantly under a deadline. Mm-hmm. That's not a good way to manage your time because, I mean, we know that stress is unavoidable, right? But there are things that we can do to mitigate stress and planning is a really great way to do that. Right. Here's a technique that I, clients have often used and I'm going to describe it. This is really old school because I'm sure there are apps nowadays mm-hmm. that probably do the same thing. But when I started talking about it, it's about index cards. So you have these index cards and let's say you have 10 tasks or 20 tasks. And so you write each task on its own index card and then what you can do is it's easy to prioritize them and you know put them in a stack with the most important tasks being on top and mm-hmm. what the reason i like that is you can reprior you can reshuffle them or reprioritize them you know if something changes but often what i found is if you have 20 tasks if if you're looking at a list of 20 things it becomes overwhelming and a lot of people can't look past the list of 20 things Mm-hmm. And so if you put them on the card, all you're seeing is one task. And so it's like you empty your mind of whatever, and, and really whatever is underneath that first task isn't that important, isn't important right now. Your priority is what's on top. And yep. then as soon as you have completed that, you know, you take it, it's pretty satisfying to rip it up. You know, all of a sudden your second task is there. And so it helps people not feel quite so overwhelmed. Yeah. Prioritizing and learning to prioritize and find what's important. And I think- And and trying to narrow your focus. Yes. Narrow your focus to- the either the most important or the couple most important tasks as opposed to seeing the whole picture that mm-hmm. feels overwhelming to a lot of people. yes yeah I, which i mean i can relate to i mean you know i i'm thinking of when i've got some sort of event that i'm hosting or you know a kid's birthday and that i've got to get ready for and i've got all of these things that i that i've got to do like I, i've got to get all this done and i've got to get it done in time and you know, it can feel really overwhelming and it can be difficult to know where to start. And so that would kind of go back to begin with the end in mind picture. What do you, what do you want it to look like? And then prioritize from there. Right. And uh, I should say this because I thought this when I was reading, all these things work together. I mean, that's probably to most people, Yeah, but it's not like 
you know, they're independent. They all work together. And I think he's put them in an order, at least to me, that uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think he did a really good job with this book. So one thing that I really wanted to talk about, and in the outline, I highlighted this, and that's setting goals, because I have struggled my whole life with setting goals and sticking to them. And, you know, as and as I look at my life as a whole, I would consider myself successful. Overall, I could, I would consider my I mean, I'm where I want to be. And I've met my major goals. But when it comes to, I don't know, little things, I find that I can set a goal and then somehow it always gets lost. And there is one area that I feel like I have been more effective and that's in exercising. Mm -hmm. And so, because, you know, I was really involved in sports in high school. And so, you know, I never even worried about it, but after high school, I had no teams and I had no reason to continue exercising and taking care of my body. And I'm a pretty active person anyways, with young kids, Mm -hmm. but in September of 2020, Curtis was diagnosed with type two diabetes. And as a result, he, I mean, he had to make a lifestyle change for the sake of his health. Right. And that included exercising. And so I started making him get up early to go on walks, anyways. And so I started going on walks and, you know, it's the one thing that I've continued doing. I mean, for a year and a half now, I can say that I've consistently exercised. And when I think about that goal that I've always kind of had that I've been able to set, I think it really comes down to, I let go of this all or nothing mentality Mm-hmm. that I have mm-hmm. around setting goals. And I think a lot of people fall into that all or nothing is yeah. I'm going to set this goal. And if I fall short, even just a little bit, I either have, I have to start back at ground zero and that's not the case. And so for me throughout the week, every week I have a goal to exercise five days a week. Now mm-hmm. I, I almost never hit that goal, but it's fine because I just keep going anyways. Well, any action is better than no action. Yes. And and something you said, I think, really fits into this particular chapter as far as creating structure. So you're back in high school, you're on a team. That's the structure that that you have that forces you to do these things. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens often when we're out of school or even a lot of people who are working from home, they lack that structure. So we have to create our structure. And so goals are Mm -hmm. one of those ways that you, essentially what you're doing is you're creating a structure for you to follow. And so it's like, instead of your coach saying, okay, Liz, you're going to do this and this and this, you have to essentially be your own coach and say, I'm going to do this. So I, I agree. Goals are important. I think they have to be, you know, broken down into achievable steps and it makes it more likely that you're going to follow through. But again, if I like that idea of it doesn't have to be all or nothing, anything is better than nothing. Yeah. And also not beating yourself up when you fall short, because another goal that I've set is eating less sugar, right? I mean, again, it's a good goal. And, you know, I have days where, or weeks or months or whatever, where I don't do so good. And so I just say, well, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. The day's over, day's done. I'll try again tomorrow. I'll try again next week. And so you've really got to let go of that all or nothing mentality. Right. So this gets us through 
the first three habits, which for us isn't too bad. That's pretty good, Liz. I yes. Think <laughs> and we are going to make a very, very concerted effort to get through. This is through. our goal. You talked this about is, goals. This is our goal. <laughs> yes, this is our goal. Our goal is to get through the next four habits next week. Next week, and we'll do it. We yes. will achieve that goal. <laughs> yes, even if it means cutting things out, we will right. get there, by golly. <laughs> okay. All right, everyone, have a good week. Have a good week.